Hello, and thanks for listening to the American Cancer Society's Theory Lab podcast. I'm Joe Cotter, here with my colleague, Susanna Greer. Hey, Susanna. Hey, Joe. So we spoke with Dr. Vanessa Shepard. She's a professor at Virginia Commonwealth University, and she's also the Associate Director of Disparities Research there. She's also the co-leader of the Cancer Prevention and Control Program at Massey Cancer Center. So she's an ACS grantee, actually a two-time grantee. And her new grant, she just got the good news that we funded her a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it's on improving communication and adherence in black breast cancer survivors. So what did you think? Wasn't this a fun conversation? Uh, Joe, Vanessa was so inspirational. I, I just loved this. So you're right. She is in a a really interesting and impactful area, but let's just back up for a second and say that the need here is huge. So we know that there are significant disparities when we think about outcomes in breast cancer. Breast, uh, African-American women have the highest mortality burden, and we, in this community, we ask lots of questions about why. Uh, Vanessa's work is specifically focused on well, what's happening after diagnosis in African-American women. And is there something different in black women and white women about how they make decisions about their treatment? And she has significant preliminary data to say that the answer is yes. And I'm not going to ruin what a beautiful story that Vanessa shares with us, but I'll just tell you that a lot of the data that she has accumulated points to there being a huge role for the relationship between an African-American breast cancer patient and her provider and the treatment decisions that that patient makes. And so Vanessa's work is all in that space of how do we empower African-American women in those relationships. Uh, this research is beautiful and so incredibly needed. And um, she, she's just an enormously impactful researcher. So you're going to love this. Yeah, for sure. The world needs more Vanessa Shepherds. But I'm glad we have one. And I sure I'm glad you were able to talk with her. Uh, so let's get into it. Good morning, Vanessa. How are you? I'm doing well today. How are you? I am good. A rainy morning in Atlanta. We are super excited to kind of dive in to your research mm -hmm. on I think a good way to summarize it would be to say overall reducing cancer disparities. But before we do that, I just want to make sure everybody is on the same page. We don't always think about some of this terminology. So could you just tell us a little bit about maybe the difference between a health equity and a health disparity? Sure. So those terms are used interchangeably quite a bit. So we think about health equity. It it really means that everyone has a fair and just opportunity to be as healthy as possible. And so the health equity component really requires removing these obstacles to health um, that may be beyond the health um, um, context, such as poverty, discrimination, and consequences that may be related to that. So that's sort of health equity, everyone has a fair and just opportunity, um, and it's the absence of avoidable or unfair um, differences that may impact groups of people. Okay. Disparities is a little more specific. So disparities, where we are specifically talking about differences um, in outcomes, whether it's the incidence of new cancers, um, the prevalence of existing cancers or mortality, 
Um, there could also be disparities um, in screening rates. So disparities really are the differences um, between groups, and one group would have a higher burden of some of the things I just listed, so a higher burden of um, the rate of new cancers from cervical cancer, new cases of cervical cancer, um, or a higher death rate, say, from colorectal cancer. We talk about disparities a lot in terms of race and ethnicity, but there also could be disparities when we compare urban or rural populations or um, certain age groups. Um, so the disparities really gets at these, this higher burden um, of cancer that a group is experiencing. And I think to the ultimate goal, I would just say, is to get to health equity. But we recognize that um, if we set a standard that, um, say, for, you know, we want 50% of all groups screened um, for, you know, whatever the specific condition is, but we recognize that the disparities are so um, so large between some subgroups that we can't even get to that point of equity um, until we remove some of the disparities that exist. So I hope that helps. To yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That was perfect. So I, then I guess let's focus then on disparities in particular, because you, you do think about, as you defined it, disparities or differences in outcomes for a particular population. And one area where mm -hmm. you have had significant impact is trying to understand those differences in outcomes in breast cancer, uh, specifically for African-American women. So yeah. I, I'd love it if you could share with us um, maybe some of those treatment disparities or differences in outcomes that these particular cancer patients face. Sure. So, you know, one of the things about breast cancer, we've seen persistent disparities in mortality for African-American women when we compare them to white American women. And so when you're talking about disparities, you are comparing typically two groups. And African-American women have the highest burden for, of mortality of all racial ethnic groups in the U.S. And the reasons for those disparities, as we understand them, they're complex and they're multifactorial, meaning that many things contribute to the disparities that exist. And so when we talk about, well, why is it the higher mortality? And we have taken our approach to understand often what happens after diagnosis. Hmm. So after diagnosis, what are some of the things that contribute to this higher burden of breast cancer in African-American women? And we've looked at it across the spectrum from what is the contrib contributing factors related to you know, the timeliness of someone receiving their diagnosis um, and their differences there. Um, black women experience greater delays um, from diagnosis to starting treatment, and, and, and then that contributes. Um, and the delay is not necessarily on behalf of the patient. It's not so much her delay, but the delay is explained by many different things that happen in the system, you know, in terms of not getting referrals in a timely fashion. So by, by no means do these disparities reflect, um, oh, it's the individual's fault, mm -hmm. right, that, that people aren't receiving timely treatment. And, and when we think about sort of, you know, having that surgery, and we've seen disparities in terms of when African-American women are able to have their surgery and, you know, white women had a shorter time from diagnosis to surgery, which then, you know, improves likelihood of success down the line. Um, we've seen, and, and others have nationally as well, um, lower rates of adjuvant therapy. And so mm -hmm. those are the therapies that take place after surgery. Um, and so chemotherapy, adjuvant hormonal therapy, 
those are three areas that we've seen um, differences, surgery, and those two treatments. And what we know is that chemotherapy, hormonal therapy, um, and, of course, having surgery in a timely fashion improves outcomes. So it's just so interesting to me because you're right. We know a ton about Mm -hmm. how to survive or how best to survive Mm -hmm. or approach breast Mm -hmm. cancer. And it, it seems like what you're saying is that despite us having this knowledge that there are differences in the choices potentially that African American women are making about their treatments. Do I understand that? And if so, so, are there different, what do you think, what are the influences that might impact a a patient's treatment decisions? Right. So, so I would say it's their treatment decision and their opportunities to make decisions, right. That, that, that gets into, so the, so I would say broadly that there are some differences in the receipt of cancer care that contributed, contribute to disparities. And one example I'll give you, and this is related to surgery. And so we saw delays in surgery between whites and blacks, and we, we looked at, you know, 60 days, 90 days, and, and some of those time periods have been shown to impact um, the, the spread of disease. Hmm. When, and we collected a lot of information about patients, um, preferences for information, medical mistrust, um, beliefs about treatment, some of the things that people have said, well, we know that there may be some differences by race or ethnicity. What we found is that once we controlled and adjusted or took into account um, the, the patient's reported relationship with her provider, that when there was higher trust hmm. with her provider uh, and there was a better overall relationship, then the delays were diminished. Wow. And so... So, so beliefs can be important, and these were among women that were insured, so there may be some differences if you're talking about populations where people don't have insurance. So these were women who were all insured. We saw these delays. Once we accounted for many factors, even including religiosity and things, some of the things that people have said, well, this is the reason why. What we found that while there were differences between white, black and white women, you know, on those ratings of scales, the most important factors that we're explaining the delay were related to the relationship with her provider. Wow. Okay. So it, it seems then that some of the reasons or that African-American women have different outcomes may come down to, quite frankly, an issue of trust. Um, can you, let's dive into that a little bit more. Can you sure, tell sure, us sure. what, what is then, I know that one area that you have significant expertise is called patient-centered communication. So maybe you can tell us a little Mm -hmm. bit about that. And I guess kind of the bottom line, it seems like you're saying there may be racial differences in the way that we prefer to communicate or receive information and that those differences can be hugely impactful in outcomes. And, And so I think, you know, you just made a great statement. So what we found across several studies and, and trust with one communication is another is that there the broader research has shown that providers communicate differently with patients based on age and race and ethnicity. And, and whether it's, you know, and something that's implicit or, or it's just a different style, we know that there's some, there are differences in cancer care delivery. We feel that optimizing that patient uh, provider relationship, and so patient, patient-centered communication is one where the patient is engaged her, her preferences are um, 
uh, are understood by her provider. Her provider engages her and asks questions, and she feels comfortable asking questions. So it's really a two-way interaction. And so if, in fact, that we know that there are some differences in terms of how providers deliver mm-hmm. their, their um, information based on, you know, maybe, of course, not the ind- all individual providers, but collectively there are differences, then when patients come to that encounter, um, if she doesn't have the information she needs, then she may not feel as comfortable um, raising her questions mm. um, and, and letting her preferences be known. So patient-centered means that the patient is the center so that her that there's an understanding of what her preferences are and her values are. And what we're really interested in is how to optimize and support that patient-provider um, relationship because what we and, and if we in another grant maybe we'll do some training for providers, but what we've seen is that um, there are some differences um, with communication. And so I would say, you know, race is the marker that we use, but we really may be getting that more sort of cultural preferences. And the quick example I'll use is with chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that we found is that there were differences in preferences between black and white women. Hmm. And and so we looked at what was the relationship between communication about chemotherapy and then receipt of chemotherapy. When African-American women reported that they had um, more communication with their provider about chemotherapy, you know, their risks and benefits um, and such, and they had a higher rating, they were more likely to initiate chemotherapy. The opposite was true for white women. And so, and so um, that higher communication around chemotherapy, um, we did not see greater communication. So, in fact, what we saw that, well, it's really complex when you think about race and ethnicity, is that um, that communication and understanding that it appeared to be African-American women really garnered that as more, their providers being more empathetic, mm-hmm. and then they had the information they needed, and they made an informed decision. So good communication led to receipt of recommended therapy. Um, you know, anecdotally in this sample, white women in this sample tended to rely more on the Internet for information, whereas the African-American patients tended to rely on that, their oncologists. So that's an example of there were some cultural preferences in terms of maybe one group feeling more that more communication about chemotherapy was more coercive potentially and African-American women feel like I'm getting the information that I need to make an informed decision. So we feel strongly that, you know, good communication, you know, higher trust, and that trust in providers really comes from the provider demonstrating the characteristics that mm-hmm. will lead you to trust them or her, right? And so there is this, there is this two-way perspective that um, patients may walk into their encounter um, you know, fearful, feeling lots of things, but once they're in that therapeutic relationship, that relationship is really key in ensuring that they get the recommended treatments. All right. Wow, that's fascinating. So if I understood everything that you've said, so <laughs> you you really laid out a, a question that's pretty critical of how do we optimize this patient-provider relationship? And then Mm-hmm. You have some pretty substantial preliminary data showing that for African-American women, that that patient-provider relationship is critical and that communication builds trust, which builds empathy, mm-hmm. 
which you found also yields uh, increased receipt of recommended therapy, which is um, uh, really impressive. So based on that, I, I understand that you and your team, what I have developed, what I believe is really the first kind of communication skills training and I guess an education intervention for newly diagnosed mm -hmm. African-American breast cancer patients, which is really exciting. Mm -hmm. It's called Sisters Informing Sisters. So yeah. can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So, so this intervention was created and I say co-created with African-American survivors and, and, and really came from this idea of how do we empower women in their encounters to be able to ask the questions that they need. Um, to be able to get what they need so that they can make these informed decisions. And um, the intervention includes a skill-building inter um, interaction between a trained um, African-American breast cancer survivor um, and then a newly diagnosed woman. And women are given a toolkit, and so this toolkit includes our um, decision-making guide, um, something for them to that we've sort of developed called Talk Back, which is um, this personalized communication and treatment guide that walks women through how to tell their story, ask questions, yeah. listen actively, and know their options. And they sort of work through this workbook um, with their coach and in preparation for their initial encounters, but also the subsequent encounters they're going to have um, with their providers. And so it was very um, exhilarating to, to develop this from survivor stories and so that's where we started from, listening to survivors and seeing and trying to really understand, you know, what is making some women, you know, have optimal treatment and what, you know, what things that are not. And, of course, this is one component of a really uh, big and complex, you know, system, but we think that this is one intervention um, that hopefully will lead to this patient-centered patient communication. Um, and so that was really the, the thrust behind it and um, having women to sort of leave with a set of skills and then this toolkit that they can sort of take with them. You know, that's so interesting to me because, as you said, this is a piece of a much broader strategy where you are, your ultimate goal seems to be to increase trust in the relationship between the patient and provider, but you're kind of coming in from a different angle and using sisters and forming sisters and what sounds like a, a really important role for peers to help mm -hmm. prep patients for, I guess, what may not be an optimal patient-provider relationship and help better prepare them for those conversations. So mm -hmm. can you tell me a little bit about, so it seems like that peer role must be a pretty critical link. Can you tell us more it about is. that? Sure. So, so we wanted to work with peers because we think that it's so empowering to, to sit across from someone who survived her, her breast cancer. And so we think that that just allows us to provide this, this you know, inspirational support um, mm -hmm. of someone that has gone through it and has finished and has completed her treatment. Um, and we do select um, peers who are at least two years post-treatment. Hmm. And and that peer needed to have completed her recommended therapy. Um, that's important as well, um, so that they can really model, mm -hmm. you know, this behavior. And, and it's someone who would understand that the side effects, understand the concerns, and and you know the apprehensions that people may feel. So we think that that's why peers have a unique role. Um, we, you know, there's a rigorous training process. Um, some of the peers uh, may be involved in other survivor support groups but they are specifically focused and trained in this protocol of talk back 
um, and the materials that we've developed that have been really culturally tailored for African-American women that are making decisions. Um, one component that came from engaging the peers was they were like, you know, you should really include the pathology report in layman's terms. Hmm. And so that is a component of this sort of um, demystifying these aspects of this complex pathology report so that women, again, that it's not just a report you're handing to someone else that is about you, but that you understand Mm-hmm. what those complicated words mean. Because regardless of someone's level of education, they're not oncologists, right? And so that's something that we think is important is that recognizing that it's not just an educational issue. It's I'm dealing with a life-threatening illness, and um, this is all new for me. And so how can we demystify that? And I think the peer really helps in that regard. And we've learned, and I've learned through the years from having um, peer interventionists in terms of what it's like from their eyes um, to to do this work as well. So it's, it's been a bi-directional learning for me, but I think it's really critical and um, wonderful to see that someone, that they've survived. I think that that's, that's a side effect benefit that we hope um, that will be beneficial for the intervention. Yeah, absolutely. I think that Having someone sitting in front of you who's been down the road before, uh, maybe shares a similar cultural beliefs, um, may really lower barriers to for women mm-hmm. to even feel like they can ask questions and understand. And I mean, I think it's just really impressive what you're mm-hmm. doing. So congratulations. Um, Thank you. I owe you another big congratulations. You were recently <laughs> awarded a grant from us, from the American Cancer Society, to fund uh, your plans to implement what, again, is another first. It's really the first large-scale trial to include all of these critical, culturally targeted adherence interventions, specifically for African-American women with breast cancer. So we're so excited for you. I'd I'd love for you to share kind of because most of us don't get those kinds of phone calls. What's that like to find out that, you know, all that hard work that you're going to be able to do it? It was, um, it was a wonderful feeling. I I have to say that this project is a project of my heart. So um, it's, it's, it's very personal in terms of the women that we've engaged to develop this intervention. And so the day I got the call, I wasn't expecting it. So I actually, when I picked up the phone, I thought it was uh, a wrong number because I get people calling the hospital all the time. So, so I was like, I don't recognize this area code. Who is this? And so that was my thank you when I picked up the phone. And, um, and you know, when um, the program officer called and said, you know, is this Mr. Shepard who received? And, like, and again, I, I wasn't clued into who is this. And then it said a grant for the American Cancer Society. I hooped, I hollered, I screamed. I, just, I was I was not composed. My um, postdoctoral fellow and research assistants came down the hall to see what was going on. And literally, I mean, it was exhilarating. And, you know, it has been hard work. And, um, you know, from the development of this, a lot of love went into this. Um, You know, my very first survivor coach, who is no longer here, um, Dana, this is in her memory. And, um, ah. It means a lot. It means a lot. Yeah. We're just incredibly excited for you and honored that you're, you're doing this work for Dana and all, all of the women like her. Um, So 
good luck. We'll, we're yeah. waiting with bated breath <laughs> for all that's to come. But I, I'd love to yeah. know at, at this point, so early, sure. what are your hopes mm-hmm. for this trial? Kind of what's your, you know, your dreams? So my dream. So, I mean, really, I hope long-term that we're going to learn that this intervention is efficacious um, and, and promoting adherence in patient-centered care. And then that we'll be able to disseminate it um, to a broader community. Um, you know, I think that um, while we have, you know, the numbers that we need to, you know, accrue to the trial and, and to implement it and deliver it, um, I think our team has never lost sight that every life matters. Mm-hmm. And so um, every woman that we um, that we touch, we care about it. And and, and I, I'm not sitting across and doing the interventions one-on-one. Like we tr- I do train the, mm-hmm. the team and when we talk about it. Um, and so we want as many women as possible to do well and to thrive and survive. Um, you know, as, as scientists, we often talk about, you know, statistically significant, significant outcomes, and we want to have that. Um, but I, I don't want us to forget the individual women um, that, that we hope will benefit. We hope that women will walk away and just having participated in this intervention that, um, that they will benefit and that we collect the right data to focus on our primary outcomes but there, we're also alert to, you know, there may be some other byproducts of some benefits that we don't think about mm-hmm. um, that we can capture that. And, um, you know, we have a sense of satisfaction when I know that, you know, there was a woman in the Washington, D.C. area who was pretty much running from her surgeon because she didn't want to have chemo. And um, she met with one of our coaches, and the coach really understood her specific cultural issues around chemotherapy and was able to talk to her in a way that, because she got it, she understood. Mm-hmm. And the very, the fear that was really at the, at the, at the bottom of her issue, um, and turning that to having that fear turn really more to faith. Um, and to be able to have that conversation with someone who understands. And so she was afraid that the chemo, she wasn't going to be able to survive it. She was concerned about work. And she didn't know how to share that with her provider. And so through that process of being able to be a better advocate for herself, getting those supports, and so she was afraid to not be here for her sons, and here we are four years later, and she's here for her sons. So those are the, we want more and more of those stories. And then, like I said, at the end, um, hopefully that we'll be able to share um, all of our materials and um, to a broader constituency. What a great story. Um- and as I sit here listening to you, it occurs to me that while your intervention is targeted towards a specific community of women, that all mm-hmm. of us can take so much away from this, that um, when we are fearful, when we don't understand things, that we mm-hmm. do need to use the resources around us to ask questions and to be informed. And we are mm-hmm. our best advocates. So I am, I, I'm excited about the outcomes and I'm with you that I think there will be outcomes that are probably totally unexpected that can apply to all cancer patients, all human mm-hmm. beings, mm-hmm. right? As we face mm-hmm. adversity and have to make decisions yes. about next steps. Absolutely. So good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Vanessa, I want to let you get back okay. to your your work, but I do want to ask one more question okay. because a lot, sure. a lot of our listeners are cancer patients or folks who love them. So is there a message that you would like to share with these listeners in particular? 
sure. So I would just say, you know, every story is different and every story matters. Um, to understand as much as possible about your individual diagnosis or your, um, your, the patient that you're caring for, their diagnosis, their treatment options, including clinical trials, um, and then to share information about yourself with your provider so they understand your preferences, your concerns. Even, even some things that may not see to be health-related, but it could interfere with your receipt of treatment. Um, and as things move forward in, in the treatment um, you know, plan for the patient or the caregiver to continue that dialogue with your provider um, in terms of symptoms you may feel um, when you're taking your medication that, um, you know, we want to be our own best advocates and um, that that's important. You know, somebody else's case is someone else's case. It's important that your provider sees you and hears from you. Well, thank you, Vanessa. And um, we appreciate you sharing your research story with us and absolutely wish you the best of luck. Thank you very much. You take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.